0: Adamandeve.com is the world's number one online source for adult toys. And I'm horrified is the world's number one source for nightmares, aren't we, Sam? We so are. So, we've
1: joined forces to bring you some sweet deals. Use our offer code HORROR at checkout for 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's H O R R O R. Adamandeve.com. We're not
0: horrified at all. Where are we?
1: everyone. Hi, listeners. Welcome to episode 38 of I'm Horrified. Woo! Woo! I'm your host, Allie Raynor. And I'm Sam Bunditch, just hanging you out. always say that. We make the same joke. Well, I think now it's a recurring bit. I, w- I don't want people to think that you're not a host. I think they know I'm the host because I'm here every week.
0: Yeah, yeah. Although, again, like I said before, I do like to think that I'm the guest host that you choose every week.
1: Well, I also think it's like Conan O'Brien has that guy on the couch, right? Yes. Who is he? What is the purpose of Just a friend, him? which is what I think I am so to you. So that, I don't want, no, but I don't, his name is Andy? <laughs> I think so. I don't want people to think of you as Andy, because I've never had
0: respect for him. That's fair. And I have endless respect for you. Thank you. I thought you were going to say, you know, Conan, you know, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog, and I was yeah. going to be like, I'm exactly like that. Yeah, exactly.
1: That's me. <laughs> So no, anyways. I'm also
0: your host Sam Buntich, and welcome to this episode of I'm Horrified. Welcome to the show. We're so happy to be here. We're um, thrilled.
1: S- Sam, how are you?
0: I'm doing well. Um, we live in a place with seasons, and it's getting a little chilly here. So that's been an adjustment. Yeah, I'm settling into my sort of low-grade depression that I'll be living in in the next seven months. Yeah, I've bought um four turtlenecks over the last three weeks. Mm-hmm. So make up that what you will both for my, how cold I am and my mental health. Yeah, I've been going yeah. to the Whole Foods hot bar a lot. It's nice. Which is very comforting. Yeah, it is. But it's, it's good. It's right that the seasons are changing. I was getting nervous when, like, the warm weather was lasting so long. I was, I, I was like, this is still wrong. Like, as much as I prefer warmth, it's like, it shouldn't be warm. I know. And I am a fan in most
1: cases of, um, death, not in a violent way, but of, like, a natural death. Yeah, like, the order. De-stigmatizing death, the order of nature. I think that's a really beautiful thing Mm -hmm. that we should embrace more. Uh, but also I don't like to be chilly and it takes my car too long to warm up. That's fair. So those two things are at odds, like, my philosophical being and why is it so cold all the time.
0: Why can't I wear cute skirts anymore? I know.
1: Why do I have to wear the same pair of, like, fleece leggings every day? Absolutely. But we're going down a, a bad path. I'm so excited today. Allie, what are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about something that is so intriguing and terrifying to me, which is the thalidomide disaster.
0: No, sad. Sad. And Sam, what are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about a, di- a disaster of a different sort. Right. VH1's celebrity Reality Programming Block
1: bless you (laughs) i know thank you you thought it was dead you thought you didn't have to think about it anymore we thought rock of love was so deep in the ground but you're going to bring it back
0: before we get there good (laughs) let's talk
1: about (laughs) just widespread panic in western europe okay so thalidomide is something i knew nothing about until i was sick one day And when I'm sick, the only thing I want to do is watch violent crime documentaries. That's how you watch Making a Murderer. Right, yeah. So I'd already polished off all of Making a Murderer, and then I saw Netflix had a documentary called Attacking the Devil, Harold Evans, and the Last Nazi War Crime. Ooh. Now, I didn't know who Harold Evans was, but the rest of that title had me hooked, I'll tell you. (laughs) So I watched it, and it fascinated me, and you guessed it, horrified me as well. Woo! So we're going to take it back a little bit to post-Second War Germany. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So a family-owned German company called Grudenthal Mm -hmm. is at the center of the story. And quick aside, Sam and I have a dear friend. (laughs) I immediately thought of that. I knew you would. A dear friend whose name is... We won't say his whole name, but his last name is Gronenthal. And so it's only one letter different from this morally bankrupt pharmaceutical <laughs> company. And the whole time I just pictured him at the forefront of this treachery. And it was very fun. So shout out to you, dear friend. Yeah. So the company is founded by Herman Wirtz with a partnership and like a commandership of Dr. Heinrich Muchter as the head of the science department. He's... Already very
0: spooky. Yeah, he sounds bad. Yeah,
1: very bad. So to learn more about them, I'm just gonna let this um, paragraph from the Guardian take it away. Mm-hmm. "Quote: Verts and Muchter had been members of the Nazi Party, which was not unusual in post-war Germany. The distinctive features of Verts's company was the presence of the number of scientists who had experimented in Hitler's labor camps. Ooh, so that's terrible. Not great. The non-executive chairman was Otto Ambrose, who a lot of you guys will know as a terrible dude. I'll continue. Oh Jesus." Was Otto Ambrose, one of the inventors of the nerve gas sarin. Ooh. So sarin gas. That's bad. And in charge of the construction of Auschwitz IG Farben plant. I don't know what that is, but I think it has to do with extermination, which is terrifying. Oh, God. Um, He was sentenced to eight years in prison at the Nuremberg trials released after four to help the U.S. Army Chemical Corps. I don't know why they released him from prison to go help the U.S. Army, but I guess that does sound like the U.S. Yeah, we're also morally bankrupt. And then Mukhtar experimented with live prisoners in labor camps in Poland, um, which is a thing I knew happened, but uh, I'm upset that he's involved in this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he narrowly escaped arrest by the Polish war crime prosecutors. So these are the guys who are running the show. Yeah,
0: and they don't sound like awesome dudes. No, yes,
1: and later in the segment, I'm going to describe to you what thalidomide does to the human nervous system, so remember then what I'm telling you now, which is that the men who ran this company literally invented sarin gas, and then that'll give you, like, an idea of where they came from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But let's move on, right? Mm -hmm. So, Grunenthal is created in post-war Germany, and now post-war Germany is a dismal place, naturally. This is the 1950s leading into the early 1960s, and synthetic drugs had been hitting the mainstream for a lot of reasons. Chronic pain from war injuries, crippling anxiety of living through the war that they just had. Everyone was just, like, snapped out all the time, like, please give me something to sleep. Mm -hmm. And just the fact that they were new and they worked really well. Like, remember radium? Like, every drug has their 15 minutes of fame. Yeah. Um, but Grudenthal realized that thalidomide worked really well as a low-grade sedative and prepped it for the mass market. And I found some accounts that said that they invented it and some accounts that said, like, a Swiss research facility invented it. Um. But they made it famous and distributed yeah. it. So it's their fault. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'll say. So in October of 1957... This drug hit the market in liquid and pill form in 52 countries, some more prominently than others. Someday, I would love to have a guest come on this show to talk about big pharma because it is truly one of the most horrifying concepts in our modern world. However, for those who don't know, pharmaceutical companies actually market their own drugs Mm -hmm. rather than, like, battling it out internally and being like, oh, whose drug is, like, the safest and the best for the consumer? And then then, like, they that that, That's wins. something that happens in other countries now, but that wasn't happening then. And that's still what happens in America, which is just the worst. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times the drug you get has more to do with what pharmaceutical representative has visited your doctor's office or the company that runs your medical practice than, like, what the best medicine is for you. And often there are large-scale corporate interests behind that marketing, which are waiting for a huge payout when drugs hit the market because they expect you know, it's like a lipstick. It's the same. Like people are like, oh, we need to sell this many of these. Yeah. Whether or not people need them. Mm -hmm. So that's at play here. So remember that. And so Grunenthal is marketing this pill hardcore everywhere because it was really powerful. Like it worked, you know, like this wonder drug, this magic pill that would remove your pain like never before. And it worked wonders on anxiety and also nausea. And who can you think of that is anxious and nauseous all of the time? Pregnant ladies. Pregnant ladies. Yeah. Exactly. And also me. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say the first person that comes to mind is gold Myself. Sammy B. But uh but we're not pregnant. Well. We're just <laughs> chubby and sad and freaking out. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a
0: crazy way for us to um announce on the podcast that we had a pregnancy pact? We're
1: both pregnant. We're no, both we're both,
0: pregnant. both just No, we're both just anxious. We're and, both just and aloof and yes
1: bloated most of the time. (laughs) So before you know it, pregnant women around the world, though I'll say particularly in places a bit closer to Germany, like Spain, the UK, and Australia, weirdly, and Germany itself, um, are being prescribed this new magical drug. Doctors saw it as this exciting new thing that they could give to patients, and they were being incentivized by Grunenthal to prescribe it. So it's like a win-win. Everyone's loving it. It's hitting the shelves. It's going really well. However, they didn't take into account that there had been no human trials of this drug, (sighs) let alone trials on pregnant women. To quote Michael Magasnik, who wrote a book on the topic called Silent Shock, quote, There was a general culture of respect for authority at the time. Women accepted what their doctors told them and just took the pill. There wasn't any consultation with your patient about what you were giving them or the wisdom of it, or whether this was a new drug or whether it was effective or not, or what it was for. So, yeah, women were basically just doing as they were told, not asking questions, and ingesting thalidomide while they were pregnant. Mm. So, before I get into the social ramifications of this, I am now going to tell you what thalidomide does to the human body as it is developing in utero. (laughs) So, there are sometimes complications to, like, a fully grown human body if you take thalidomide, um, but those were fewer and farther between and did also mostly have to do with deterioration to the nervous system. Mm -hmm. Which is not similar from radium. Interesting. There you go. Full circle. Common theme. So both the severity and the location of the birth defects that result from thalidomide correlate exactly to what day you took the drug in your pregnancy. So you think about it like a little fetus is like a speck and then it grows and then it, it's like a little brain and then mm-hmm. it's like a brain with eyes and then it's a brain with a torso, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So basically the sooner you take it, the worse it is because... It's basically, like, if you drink really early in your pregnancy, it's worse than, like, if you have a glass of wine when you're nine months pregnant, you look like a terrible mom. Mm -hmm. But it's actually not that big of a deal. Yeah. I wouldn't do it. But it's, like, it's actually, like, it's cooked already. Yeah, your (laughs) baby's already done. done. Um, But so the earlier you took it, the worse it was. So if you take it on or before the 20th day of pregnancy, there is central brain damage that is devastating to the brain, causing serious mental impairment. But, interestingly enough, no physical impairment, really, because it, your physical limbs haven't been developed yet. Yeah. So, if you take it on the 21st day, it affects your eyes, and then after that, something called fossomelia would become a factor, which is a malformation of the limbs to varying degrees, and this is what thalidomide is most highly recognized for. Mm-hmm. So, it basically starts from the center and works its way outward. So, on the 22nd day, the face is malformed... And the 24th to 28th days, the arms and legs are like, well, it can stretch from you having no arms and legs, like being born without limbs, mm-hmm. to, you know, if you take it a little later, then your forearms are not there or are malformed. And then if you take it much later on, it might just be an effect in your hands and feet mm-hmm. so you can actually really see like down the line like when you took it correlates exactly to what kind of damage there is yeah. to the developing body and after 42-ish days there is more or less no more risk to the fetus mm-hmm. so so hopefully you waited yeah <laughs> 42 days jesus christ so more often than not this would immediately cause a miscarriage Um, So it wasn't as alarming if it's just a miscarriage that that happens very commonly, which is Mm -hmm. very sad, but you might not realize you wouldn't realize that that was because of that. So miscarriages were happening rampantly in conjunction with thalidomide sales, but people weren't really recognizing that. And then even more tragically, 40 to 50 percent of the babies born with Fosomelia, which would be the very obvious physical malformations in the limbs, would die during or soon after birth. So that's almost half And because it attacked from the outside in, it was, like, terrifying and sneaky because, like, your baby could look fine, but, like, their heart could be malformed. And all of a sudden, all these problems would occur, and naturally, many of the poorer families who gave birth to babies affected by thalidomide didn't have the resources to care for these, like, expensive new things that were popping up. And it was happening on a massive scale, so it's like, what do you do? Yeah. Remember what I said about post-war Europe? It was already a bad place. Yeah, it already was no fun to be Yeah, there. you don't need more trouble. Mm-hmm. But, so relatively quickly, people realized there was a problem happening with pregnancies in a serious way. There are conflicting theories as to whether or not it was an Australian doctor or a midwife who first made the link between thalidomide and birth defects, but my money is totally on the midwife.
0: Yeah, I also buy the midwife, because midwives are more likely to be like, oh, it's something wrong with, like, the medicine, not like, these women are wrong. Exactly. There's something wrong with the vagina it Yes, came exactly. Out of.
1: Um, so, like, these allegations started coming out, and Grunenthal threw money at PR companies, hospitals, basically anyone they could get to get people to stop talking about it. They shushed up class actions, they denied everything that they were accused of, and they basically said at every turn, you can't prove that this is why this is happening, so we didn't do anything wrong. And in the U.K. specifically, and this is the story that the documentary Attacking the Devil that I was talking about tells, um, the Sunday Times, which is a very famous paper, was led by Harold Evans, who was the editor at the time. And he ran a series of investigative pieces piecing apart what thalidomide was, how it had been marketed to pregnant women, and most importantly, how the lives of these families had been affected. So they told the story of women whose, like, husbands had left them because of rising medical costs, Mm -hmm. um, how families had been ostracized because children with malformed limbs, like, you know, were scaring the other children, which is just, like, the worst, and how Uh thousands of British families were, like, living with this very secret pain and shame that they didn't deserve. And obviously, like, this shame did not come from the kids themselves, like, they were all angels who Mm -hmm. did not deserve... Any of the painter stigma that resulted from this and were like fully whole people in their own right and like have gone on to do really incredible things like there's, you know, nothing wrong with them but the society that they were in, particularly in the eyes of Harold Evans, the British society that they were in was very concerned with social norms and this is something that he was really trying to crack open. That they were, you know, like, turning away from this crisis because it was difficult to stomach. So, one of the headlines that he ran, which I really loved, was, Are Thalidomide Children a Cause for National Shame? Which I think that's really powerful. Like, our children. Like, these are our children. You need to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. So, the exposés that they did were really serving to humanize these stories. And, like... That sucks that they needed humanizing because they're like beautiful little babies. (laughs) It sucks that that needed to happen, but it really helped to garner like a national and international empathy and understanding for what these families were going through and also publicizing the fact that there was really a problem here in terms of the malpractice Mm -hmm. pharmaceutically. However, although Britain was able to get a massive trust of compensation for victims from the manufacturer of the drug in the UK, which was called Distillers, The litigation against Grunenthal itself was not that successful. They managed to settle on a lump sum in court, which nowhere near compensated for the lives they'd impacted by their medical negligence. In 2012, Gronenthal finally issued an insulting apology, saying they regretted the outcomes of the tragedy, but were acting in accordance with industry standards at the time. Blue, I'm sorry if you were offended by Thalidomide. Okay,
0: I'm horrified by non-apologies in general. Let's do a segment about that. Honestly, YouTube apology videos could be the third in a series about shitty YouTube Honestly. personalities. Um, but, like... When you are a company who profited off something that ended up being like painful for families, like come on, is what I say. Now I'm thinking about damn, um, Morton Thiokol and their O-rings. Exactly,
1: it's very similar. So this tragedy has gone down in recent history as a tragic example of corporate greed coupled with society's pressure to not make a fuss about anything. Women were pressured to abandon their children, not let them out of the house, and to blame themselves all the while that they had been blindly prescribed poison by the doctors that they trusted. Mm-hmm. The corporate recompense took too long and it was far too inconsequential. In short, this period of history was bullshit and I'm horrified. Uh. So that's the thalidomide disaster in a nutshell. Yeah. But do you want to end on a high note? Let's end on one well, high note. it's not notes. a high note, but so my grandmother, I ha- always have an anecdote about my grandmother. She, like, lived, always, she lived a tapestry she of a just, life. She did. She lived this incredible life. So there's all these stories that she has. So my, my grandmother had my mom when she was 40, which was quite bold at the time mm-hmm. to do in the 60s. My mom was born in 1963. And at the time, thalidomide had been, like, overwhelmingly found out to be terrible. Like, it was pulled off the British market in 1961, I believe. Mm-hmm. But it was still, like, being prescribed in some parts of the world just because, you know, like, radium was still being used when people's jaws were falling off. It's yeah. just, like, it gets trendy and then you can't stop it. Yeah. So my grandmother had said that her doctor mentioned thalidomide to her and was like, hey, have you heard of this? Because you're pregnant. And she was like, no, I haven't. And he was like, good do not take it. It's <laughs> awful. Like, it will kill you. Um, so, like, she had heard of it because her doctor was like, do not take it. We know now Yeah, not to. Just stick to, like, martinis and menthols. That's what you want <laughs> for pregnancy.
0: Susie um, will come out so healthy as long as you I know. stick with well, that. Well, she's perfectly healthy so and, true.
1: you know, beautiful and normal, so. Maybe it was cigarettes fine. Cigarettes are fine for <laughs> pregnant women. That's a endorsement <laughs> yeah. of i'm horrified podcast this no, episode's just sponsored kidding. by marlboro lights oh my god they're the new adam and eve <laughs> um yeah but that's it so a
0: bummer right a bummer but um, i'm glad
1: my mom wasn't a thalidomide baby yeah
0: i'm glad that your your grandma didn't take yep. thalidomide jesus fuck yep yeah uh it's just the worst i remember i watched a documentary with you i don't remember if it was that one i think it was i've only watched the one okay so it's i highly recommend that documentary it's so good and it tells like it's a lot of like the now grown-up thalidomide babies talking about, like, their, experience, their lives, which yeah. is really interesting to watch.
1: Yeah, and, and so, and they're all, like, very interesting, very intelligent, very accomplished mm-hmm. people, but they're like, yeah, and I had to also deal with this, A, a barrier in my life because it was a physical disability mm-hmm. that didn't necessarily define me, but it was also this social yeah. thing of, like, a thalidomide baby, like, mm-hmm. that is a That's a part of an identity now. And so they talked a lot about what that was like for them. And, um, it really put their experience at the forefront that documentary. So I I would highly recommend it. I
0: don't know if it's still
1: on Netflix. I'm not sure if it is. Oh my God, I hope so. But yeah, fun stuff. Thank you so much
0: for enlightening me. Of course. Anytime. Even more about thalidomide. And now I would like for you to rot my brain. Absolutely. So I'm going to say something right now, and it's this. It's not a secret, that I have garbage taste. Well, <laughs> what have I talked about I mean, on this show? I keep going. Just keep going. Let's and... think about the things that I've talked about on this show, okay, right? Okay, fair enough. Tanacon. Right. Jake Paul. Yeah. Pretty wild. Eventually I'm going to talk about 50 shades of gray. Not yet, listeners. And I'm going to talk about Twilight. Uh, we should make that a double episode. We should. For sure. I love romance novels. I'm not ashamed of that. No. I there's do no shame there. Ton of those. That's good taste. But I do love garbage. That's something you that I enjoy. It. You do love it. So today I'm going to talk about what I believe is one of the most important cultural touchstones of our generation. I am, of course, talking about the celeb reality programming block on VH1. Amen. Okay, all I'm saying- I agree with you. Yes, a lot not of this stuff was really influential in all reality TV that has come since. I That's agree with you. That's all I'm saying. But bring us through it. Bring us through the history. I will. Absolutely. So for those, like, not familiar, A- <laughs> what? And B, uh, VH1 is a TV channel. Um, That's just to really start. If you have the nice cable. If you have the nice cable. It's, like, MTV's wacky brother. So, like, it does music videos, but it does, like, a little bit more garbage than MTV does. Not much more garbage, but a little more.
1: Yeah, but I, I want to do a segment that's, like, all the MTV garbage. Like, (laughs) next I and love engaged that. in underage Hell yeah. and my super sweet 16 uh, i love so my super sweet 16 maybe i'll do a sister episode to this one but yeah, vh1 did get pretty fucking trashy yeah was it was tequila tequila on vh1 no Tila tequila was mtv that was mtv yeah okay. so
0: you you're the mtv girl and i'll be the vh1 garbage can absolutely so yeah so vh1 and it's still on but they don't really do this anymore this block of programming that they called the celeb reality so I'm not stuttering as I say that. That's what they called it. It ran from, like, January of 2005 until 2009. And then in 2009, for reasons that I will explain at the end of this segment, they toned back this programming. They stopped using the celebrity brand. And it was kind of the end of this golden era of... celebrity. Trash garbage. Yes. So to talk about, um, celebrity, <laughs> I need to start with the Mac Daddy, the progenitor of all celebrity television shows, which is called The Surreal Life. Did you ever watch this show? I thought you were going to say um Flavor of Love. No, 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 baby girl. Flavor of Love is a spin-off of oh, The Surreal really? Life. Oh, really? Yes. Really? So the thing you'll quickly discover about celebrity is everything was a spin-off of a spin-off of a spin-off. I love it. Like they had this one show, The Surreal Life, and I swear to God, I should make a chart. Like, everything fucking spins off. That's amazing. From Well, because somebody, uh, one of the girls from Flavor
1: Flav had their own show, right? Yes. I love New York. I will
0: talk about I love later. New York. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god, I'm screaming. Just keep going. Okay. So The Surreal Life um actually premiered in 2003 on WB, but then it was acquired by VH1, and it started their celebrity programming block in 2005. I can't believe the WB lowered themselves that way. <laughs> I know, I know. That was even before they were the CW. But so the surreal life mimicked the format of MTV's Real World, which was strangers picked to live in a house and have their lives taped. But the twist was that it wasn't just average Joe strangers; it was C and D-list celebrities locked in this house together. So you've got like your Flavor Flames, your Brigitte Nielsen's, your the youngest kid from the Brady Bunch, mm-hmm. your oh pe- yeah, people who were on America's Next Top Model. This is coming back to me. Now. Absolutely, your Gary Buseys, your Gary Coleman's. <laughs> Those people... All the Garys. There were, like, six seasons of this show. And so basically, like, they're just acting inappropriately, They, they give them, like, fake day jobs that, like, they have to go to, and it became, like, this monster hit because the audience could watch, like, this trashy reality show, but it was also celebrities that you were familiar with. So after an episode, you could say things like, I can't believe Gary Coleman got so ba- mad at Vanilla Ice that he fired them from their burger shop job. That <laughs> happened in an episode of this It's like, you don't have to sell me
1: on this. Like, this is great, and I would watch it.
0: Yeah, so it's just, like, wild. Charo, Charo was also on it. What? I now feel ashamed that I didn't watch the life because it me really too. is, like, the beginning of it all. One other one I want to talk about is Hogan Knows Best. Do you remember Hogan Knows Best? I know that one. I didn't watch it, but I know it. So this was um, WWE wrestling legend Terry Bollea, a.k.a. Hulk Hogan, his wife Linda, and their disaster children, Brooke and Nick. And just, like, it was supposed to be their life. So it was kind of like the the Ozzy Osbourne show that existed. Which I did watch and loved. Yeah, so that that wasn't on VH1, but the Hogan Knows Best was very much the same. Um, the best thing about Hogan's Knows Best is why it ended in 2007, and it was for two reasons. Number one, Hulk cheated on his wife Linda with one of Brooke's friends. No! And then, Linda started openly dating another of Brooke's friends who was 19 years old. Brooke! <laughs> Brooke gets a spinoff, so good for her. Okay. Um, but then B, Nick, um, the Brooke son- knows Best. That's what it was called. Are you kidding? No! <laughs> oh my god. No, it was called Brooke Knows Best. I feel like I'm a savant at these. (laughs) You really are. I would be good at this. So B, um, Nick, the son, had been driving recklessly, got in a car crash, and he injured the passenger so bad that the passenger will be on life support for the rest of his life.
1: Oh my god. And then the family of
0: the passenger sued Nick for, like, reckless endangerment. Which it was. Which it was. And so that was all happening in 2007, and VH1 was like, we don't want to tape you anymore right we feel like this is bad so that's um that's hogan knows best it was legendary now we're going to talk about two shows that were both spin-offs of the surreal life and they're very similar in concept tell me one of them is flavor play i'm not even there yet baby girl. jesus christ the first one is my fair brady Oh, yeah. And that's Christopher Knight from The Brady Bunch and Adrian Curry from America's Next Top Model. Right. And they met on The Surreal Life and fell in love, and this is a show about their life and marriage. But he was, like, addicted to heroin, right? No, I think that was the guy from the Partridge family. Yes, sorry. That, that, I think, was Danny Bonaduce. My fair Partridge. Um, and he had a different show called Breaking Bonaducci that I don't even talk about in this <laughs> segment.
1: <laughs> Where are we? <laughs>
0: So, um, I remember, um, strongly that a big conflict in their relationship was that, um, one of them really wanted to have a baby, and I do not remember which was which. One of them really wanted to have a baby, and the other really wanted her to get breast implants. And I literally, it might have been her who wanted the breast implants and him who wanted the baby, I don't remember. But, like, the end of one season, like, the cliffhanger was, like are you going to have a baby or are you going to get breast implants? And then it was like dramatic music, end of the season. And the next season started with like, I got breast implants. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I think they're divorced now. So maybe that's better, but I don't know. So that's My Fair Brady. Very similar, but with a special difference is Strange Love. Because there was another couple that fell in love while they were filming the surreal, surreal life. Beautiful six foot German model Brigitte Nielsen. And small, weird rap legend, Flavor Flav. (gasps) So they had fallen deeply in love while they were filming The Surreal season, like, three. So they got a spinoff show, which was just, like, their lives together.
1: That's beautiful. A lot of
0: it was really beautiful. The sad part was they broke up at the end. No. So then you think to yourself, well, Flav. Flavor Flav. He's alone now. He's lost his love. And I'm sure the execs at VH1 totally selflessly were like, how can we help this man? Yeah, how do we help this sad man? And so we come to... Yes. Flavor of Love. Woo!
1: <laughs> flavor Fuck of Love. yeah,
0: I'm so excited. What can I say about Flavor of Love that hasn't already been said? Yeah, I, no. Weird old Flavor Flav wants to find love. The women on the show just want to fight each other and get his money. And it's amazing. It's perfect. Um, my favorite part is that on the first episode, Flav, like, ritualistically gives a nickname to every woman. That was the best part. That was the best part. That was the best part. <laughs> so I've pulled, um, my four favorites. <laughs> <laughs> New York, who goes on to her own fame. Right. Punkin. I remember Punkin. Yeah. And there's a very famous, um, like, scene of New York and Punkin fighting. And, like, one of them spits on the other one. It's great. Yep. One was just called Black. Jesus. And she came in second on season three. And then one of them was called Delicious. But Delicious is spelled D E E L I S H I S. Yikes. Delicious. Delicious. Every one of those nicknames, though, were pure gold. And, like, it really was, like, that was one of the most memorable parts about the show, was like, it was a great festival that he did moment. that. Yeah. And so, like, these girls compete in challenges and they scream at each other. And at the end of the episode, he gives everyone a clock because he's very famous from Public Enemy for, like, the clock that he wears. Yep. And then one goes home. So there were three seasons. I thank God for every season.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Each day I wake up. Yes. I thank God for my health, my family.
0: Absolutely. Those four seasons. (laughs) So there's a few shows that spun off from this. Um, One of them is called Flavor of Love Girls Charm School, which is when contestants um, go to a charm school um, run by Ricky Lake. And she tries to teach them manners. Oh, yeah, I remember Ricky Lake is involved in that. Yeah, because um, they're such disasters. Another one, which is like a lot of these celebrity reality contestants end up on, is called I Love Money, which is hilarious. And it's literally just I like... I do love money. Yeah, it's that all of them being like, I was on a show for love, but now I'd really like to extend my 15 minutes of fame and win $100,000. Yeah, but it's like, what if I fall in love along the way? I won't. Yeah. But then we have the most important one, I Love New York. I Love New York, bitch! I Love New York is about um one of the contestants from the show, New York, and she had actually been on two seasons, I don't know if you remember this, but she was on the first season, she came in second, she was heartbroken, and so on the second season, like, halfway through, they bring New York back, because he's like, I just feel like things aren't done between me and New York. And she came in second again. No. So he put her second two seasons in a row. I only row. watched the first
1: season, which was epic.
0: Oh, my God. I just
1: remember sitting on a friend's shitty couch, drinking watered-down vodka and
0: Life Water. Yes. <laughs> and watching so Flavor of Love. Uh, I loved it. My mom hated it so much. So um, we're going to play a game right now. I Love New York had many spinoffs from it. So I'm going to tell you the names of four shows, and I want you to tell me which one I made up. Okay. Ready? So the, I Love New York, the first one, that's real. That had like two seasons. I'm sure of it. Here's the ones that you have to choose from. New York goes to Hollywood. New York goes to work. (laughs) just goes to work? (laughs) A real chance at love. And Frank the Entertainer in A Basement Affair. Which of those do you think are real? The last one has to be
1: real. The last one's real. Good call. I'd say the first one. New York goes to Hollywood. Surprise, they're all real.
0: No, you did that. No.
1: I did the thing. You
0: did the thing. Um, Yeah, all four of those are real. Good. Frank the Entertainer um, had been one of her contestants at one point, and also at one point she was wooed by two brothers, and on her show she also gave all of her people nicknames so one of them she had named Real, and one of them she had named Chance. And so then they got a spinoff, and it was called A Real Chance at Love. Yikes. They also called themselves The Stallionaires. Not interesting. I don't know if you remember that.
1: Not not as good
0: as Punkin. Not as good as Punkin. Not as good as Black. Oh, <laughs> God. That's my favorite one. Um, so here's a couple shows from this programming block that were maybe actually good. Maybe not, though. Um, The Salt and Peppa Show. My mom loved this one. That was good. Yeah. So it was about the reunion of Salt and Peppa, um, who were a popular rap duo from the 90s. Um, Fucking and... seminal rap duo. They were amazing. Yeah, Push It. And it was mainly about Peppa's lingering bitterness from how Salt had abruptly departed the group years ago. And Salt, like, is trying to soothe this over and have them become friends again. But also, in the intervening years, Salt has become, like, a really strong Christian. And therefore, she now feels uncomfortable performing songs like Push It. Peppa just wants to continue performing like the old days, so she's like, why can't we do Push It? And Salt's like, we're talking about fucking. I can't push it anymore, (laughs) unless I am pushing the Lord. Yeah, and Peppa's like, you sang this song for years, like, you're not gonna go more to hell if you now sing it with me at this Batman spot. Your ass was out in the 90s, take it out now. Exactly. Uh, But that was a great show. Then there's Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew.
1: (gasps) Fucking... I loved that. I loved that show. And my parents, who are probably listening to this, they watched Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew every goddamn night. I remember them, like, religiously. Like, <laughs> after dinner, they'd be like, oh, like, we got two Celebrity Rehabs with Dr. Drew burning a hole in our DVR, <laughs> and they just rush downstairs to watch it. Yeah. That was a good show. Kaniki was on that show. Yeah, Jeff Conway. He died, though. That was sad. He did. There were so many people... Because that show was, like real like it was yeah it really like it obviously was exploitative but it didn't shy away from the addictions that they were facing and it was really
0: real yeah when it came to that so that was the controversial part of this show like it was basically that vh1 was like wow we have all these people on this surreal life, and they are addicted to substances. Yeah, let's maybe make something of that. Yeah, so, like, Dr. Drew is, like, a real doctor, and they would really go to this, like, rehab facility that was populated by doctors, and it was just that, like, we were filming it, you know? Right. I say we like I was there, but I feel like I was. And so, it was kind of like, on the one hand, people were like, it's good that they're getting help. Like, this is real help, it seems. Yeah. And it's good that we're, like, publicizing that addiction sucks and it's not glamorous and should be treated. Right. But also it's, like, what if we just gave them free rehab? Like, why do we have to be filming it? And also, like, obviously, due to the nature of this show, this show has, like, the most former contestants who have since died of, like, any reality show. Yeah, naturally. And, like, it's weird to say contestants. It's not like they were competing, but, like like, there was a list of, like, all the people who have been on Celebrity Rehab who have since died, and it's a big list. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, and it's, like, of course it's a big list, because these were people who were actively trying to battle addiction.
1: Yeah, and it was no joke. Like, it was, like, serious addicts who were on this show. Exactly. Um, and I was, like, I was uh, always torn, too, because it was, like, it really didn't shy away from anything, but you know that every single reality show that there is, there is production behind it, Mm -hmm. so you know that they've got, like, to have a different angle for every episode, and they've got a stir of drama, so
0: that being part of a healing process just feels really antithetical. Exactly. So, they ultimately, like, it's not even that this was cancelled, it was just, like, they didn't renew it, because Dr. Drew was like, I'm kind of tired of the pushback that this show gets, so... I get it, Dr. Drew. Yeah, so that was Celebrity Rehab, like I said, like, with salt and Pepper, like, maybe actually a good show, I don't know. Let's get back to the garbage. I would fucking die for... Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew. I don't care what I... I don't care what... If, if it's right or if it's wrong. Amen. Let's talk about something that's really important to me. Hold my hand. I will. Sometimes I think to myself, you know, why is the world so difficult? Mm-hmm. Why are things so hard? Is there any beauty left? But then I go back to the words of my Lord and Savior. Every rose... Oh, no. ...has its thorn. Jesus. Every night has its dawn. We're going to talk about Rock of Love right now, aren't we? Every cowboy. Okay. <laughs> ultimately stars on three seasons of Rock of Love. Which I was, I thought it was Kid Rock. No, it was not. Which I would literally
1: have to <laughs> leave, I would have to leave the room. Because I can't. No, it was the one. This is the, the one... second episode in
0: a row where I've talked shit about Kid Rock <laughs> and I will not stop. No, it was the one and only Brett Michaels' Rock of Love. This was my favorite show. I know. That,
1: anyone who knows you as well as I do knows that that makes so much sense for reasons I can't, I can't even explain. Yeah, I don't
0: know either. And the funny thing is, like, I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, like, I love Flavor of Love, but Rock of Love is it for me. Like, why do I feel that way? Why do you feel that Because they way? are functionally the same show. Yeah, they are. I can't tell you why I feel that way. You just love it. Because
1: on Flavor of Love, the thing, that there was, like, you had a respect for those women. Like, mm-hmm. and I respect all women. This is gonna get playfully weird. <laughs> yeah. This is gonna get playfully This was nostalgic. 2004. So, so we Florida didn't have any morals. But, like, in Flavor of Love, like, the contestants on that show, like, you would back them in a fight. You'd yeah. be, like, you, you get it, you know what you want, you're yeah. gonna go get it, I believe in you. Yeah. Like, go out and get it. Like, New York had that, like, energy. Like, yeah, they were all messes, because mm-hmm. they were on reality shows, but, like. You had this, like, you were rooting for them, but all of the contestants on Rock of Love were just fucking train wrecks. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just, there was no rhyme or reason, like, just, like, hair was off kilter, yeah. they were going right for the dick, like, they just, <laughs> yeah, they just, it was, it was,
0: it was so fucked up I and loved that, it. like, you just couldn't look away. It was truly, like, a car accident. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I just fucking loved this show. Um, and it's had a couple of memorable spinoffs. So one of them was Rock of Love Bus, which was just Rock of Love, but they had to live on a bus.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you remember that.
0: I would um, love that.
1: I would love that if they did that with every show, like, this is us,
0: bus. <laughs> the best thing about Rock of Love bus, which, like, this wasn't real, but I like to imagine it was, is, like, when the girl was illuminated at the end of the show, the bus drove away without her. No! <laughs> she was just left no. at that whatever, true? yeah, and she was left at whatever something. I'm no. sure in real life the producers, like, gave her a car. They just had to leave. This reminds me of- It would be, like, like her crying as the bus drove away. It was so
1: good. This reminds me of the first time I ever heard my mom say the F word. Let me explain. (laughs) We were all watching The Bachelor. No, we were watching The Bachelorette, and so The Bachelorette was on an island, and so both of the, like, The Bachelors who were left- Yes. I've told you the story- had to, like, row the boat- (laughs) To go propose to her, yes, and so they rowed the, I can't. They rode the boat up to the island, and the first one, she was like, "No, like yeah. I don't want to marry you." And so everyone was laughing hysterically, and my mom just said, "He has to get back in the fucking boat." <laughs> <laughs> and I was laughing so hard. Uh, it was so funny. Oh
0: my god. But
1: so, yeah, it's like you just leave her in the middle of <laughs> fucking of, nowhere. It was like, this bus stop
0: is Cleveland and bye. I'm bye. Like, fuck. She's um, like, I'm from Omaha. <laughs> another memorable spinoff was Daisy of Love, which is like the least sensical title. But it was a contestant named Daisy and she got her spinoff reality show. Why didn't they call it like Daisy Dukes or something like uh, no, that? No, Daisy of Love. And she has to fight people <laughs> for fighting for love. But then we get to what is arguably the most important Rock of Love spinoff in that it ended all of celeb Did it? Yes. The show was called Megan Wants a Millionaire. Oh, Megan Wants a Millionaire. I remember that. Yes. So Rock of Love contestant Megan Hauserman had been very memorable because she had made it clear from the beginning of her season that she was really interested in Brett for her money. For her money? For his money and the money that, that would was, become hers. Yeah. And that she was an aspiring trophy wife. Like that was how she built herself. Is like, I'm gonna be a trophy wife. Yeah, honestly, same. Yeah, right. So it was it's hard because like all the Rock of Love Girls obviously wanted his money, but Megan was just like very open about it. So she was very memorable and she gets her spin off, Megan Wants a Millionaire. And the concept is that it's 17 men who are like literal millionaires. Like you have to prove that you in theory have this money, if you're gonna... That's not even that much these days. Exactly. Like, it was a lot of people who have, like, 1.2 million, which yeah. is, like, more than I have. But not billions. That Yeah, that's not, like, yacht buying money anymore. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I'm not trying to say a million dollars isn't that much money. But that is what I said. But it's not. <laughs> it's not. But yeah, so that's the concept of the show. And it premieres on Sunday, August 2nd, 2009. Then... Broadcast of the program is suspended by VH1 on August 19th, 2009. Why is that, Sam? Why? Because contestant Ryan Jenkins was being sought by the police for questioning in connection to the murder of his wife, Jasmine Fiore. Oh no. Oh no. So he had married this woman shortly after production had wrapped on Megan Wants a Millionaire, and then he had murdered her shortly after that. Fuck me up! Megan Wants a Murderer, I guess. Making a Megan wants a murderer. (laughs) Absolutely. I would watch that. So at first, everyone was just kind of like, oh, that makes sense that they're not going to run it this week because we're just finding out this guy's a murderer. But it came out that this contestant had made it to the top three of the show. Wow. And therefore, they just had to cancel it because it would have been so uncomfortable to watch Megan consistently choose a murderer every week.
1: I would pay thousands of dollars for the dvd set
0: of that season (laughs) me too god you know i would yeah but so literally this incident was hugely bad press for the celeb reality name so bad that they ended up not using that name anymore and scaling back all of their reality programming because they just didn't want to be known as like oh you're that company that put a murderer on your show (laughs) they like freaked out and they canceled all these shows And so, like, I hope it rests in peace. I'm horrified. Like, it's horrifying that we gave all these disaster people a platform, and then it's horrifying that you took that platform away from me. Honestly. When I liked to watch it, to my mom's chagrin. (laughs) It's like, it's terrible that it happened, but don't stop doing it. (laughs) Yeah, but give it to me. Yeah. That's vh one Celebrity. Um, do you want, we can cut this out, but I might just go down and read all the names of the shows that have been on this block. We will not cut it out. Please do that. Okay, great. Uh, Surviving Nugent sent eight individuals to Ted Nugent's house <laughs> <laughs> to compete in various games and activities. Uh, I can't deal with that. I can't even do any one. more of those. It's the first one. Surviving Nugent. I can't deal with that. What's the next one? Um, Celebrity Fit Club, which is a show where celebrities get in shape. Oh, I remember that one. Um, there's kinda, someone talked about Breaking Bonaducci about the therapy of Ted right. Bonaducci. Celebrity Paranormal Project, which is celebrities in haunted locations. Love it. Um, here we go, like, Flavor of Love, I Love New York, Flavor of Love Girls Charm School, and then here comes Rock of Love. Here's one, Ego Trips, The White Rapper Show, which Yikes. was a search for the next great white rapper. Um, Salt and Pepper, Rock of Love Charm School, I Love Money, Viva Hollywood featured Hispanic actors competing for a chance to star in a telenovela. Ooh. That's fun. Ego Trips, Miss Rap Supreme, so that was for the next great female rapper. A search. I support that. What else is good? Uh, the Cho Show, about Margaret Cho. Glam God, starring Vivica A. Fox. Oh, this one I remember. My Antonio. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. It was Antonio Sabato Jr., and he was looking for both. Yeah, I remember that. That was a great one. Uh, Charm School with Ricky Lake. And then Megan Wants a Millionaire, the end of it all. Whew. God, nothing we went on a ride. Nothing but hits is what I see. Hits, hits, hits. Oh my God. You guys, thank you for sticking with me through that one. <sighs> Jesus. I think we're just going
1: to let you go because I don't, I think everyone needs to take a deep breath, yeah. go drink a cold glass of water, and then watch four consecutive
0: seasons of Flavor Flav. That's all I can ask. Watch, watch, uh, Strange Love and then all three seasons of Flavor <laughs> Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, I mean, until you've done that, and we see you next week, we hope you stay horrified. (laughs) Stay horrified!